middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond. With Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, this is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into Keeper of the Games. We are the podcast that focuses on sports and sports topics applicable to the sports fan in Wichita, Kansas, the air capital and beyond. I'm your host, Tommy Castor, along with Weston Mills, and we're excited to be back for another episode. It's going to be our last episode in the month of June before we get into July and the 4th of July Independence Day, uh, that big holiday weekend uh, next weekend for sure. So we've got a lot of sports topics to get into today. Before we get into that, Weston, how are things going, man? Going pretty well. Uh, I want to make a correction before the show starts on something I haven't even said on air yet. I told you before the show, this was our Jordan episode, number 23. I double-checked. It's only 22. So we got the Jordan episode. Yeah, Jordan episode has has to be coming up uh, next week. But other than that, doing good, man. Do you have a Jordan jersey? Can you wear it next week for the show? You know, I don't have a Jordan jersey, which, you know, growing up uh, as a kid in the 90s, you'd think that I would. But I actually, I'll tell you what. Growing up, I was Jordan when I was real young. Because again, Tommy, I'm I'm younger than you. And then, really, in my <laughs> in my late childhood or like young preteens, I was the biggest Shaq fan. Loved Shaq and the Lakers. <laughs> There you go. All right. Well, uh, before we get started, I want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of Keeper of the Games, you'll get a notification and uh, you can find us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, many others out there. Uh, you can find us there. You can also go to our website, cogpod.weebly.com. I'm going to talk it up this episode because Weston gave me crap for sort of crapping on our website last week. So it's cogpod.weebly.com. <laughs> On top of that, you can watch full episodes of the podcast on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod at KOG Pod. Also, a big thank you to our sponsor, Title Boxing Club at 21st and Rock Road in the shops at Tallgrass. All right. So in the past, we've had a couple episodes with special guests. Today is no exception, but we're going to call him our special guest co-host because he's going to be hanging out the entire hour with us. It's my good friend and the voice of the Newman University Jets, Blake Cripps, on Keeper of the Games with us today. Blake, I want to thank you, man, for being on today. Uh, Thanks for having me. Uh, I don't know if I'll be a great friend after this hour, but I hope that I am after this hour. You know, Blake and I uh, worked together for a couple of years uh, just recently at uh, some local radio stations in in Wichita. And, uh, you know, he and I had some spirited debates just in our office. Like we weren't even on the air. We weren't even doing uh, a show. But I guarantee you that if we had been mic'd up, that would have been some absolutely high quality radio, don't you think? And not only would it have been high quality radio, it also would have been some high quality fines from the FCC. I have a feeling <laughs> you know, we, were, the, we were, got a little impassioned a couple of times. We were the, the one thing that uh, I have not yet brought on to the podcast that, uh, that I used to do all the time when you and I would debate would be that air horn. And I, horn. I, the hot take horn. I have not introduced the hot take horn yet uh, to keeper of the games, which I which I probably should. But uh, Blake, we really appreciate you being on the show. You've I, called me. I out. appreciate it. You've called me out a few times though, Tommy. Where the, the the horn probably would have been warranted. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I I I just don't have the actual sound effect, so I should probably find a way to uh, to, uh, to bring that in. So we've got a lot to get to in this hour, and so we're going to go ahead and jump right in. Uh, obviously, Blake, you are the voice of Newman University. Uh, you have been for the last several years. Uh, this year, though, obviously is a little different uh, than in years past. And you know, obviously, looking at you here on camera, you got your quarantine beard that you're rocking right now. Uh, that's pretty epic. Uh, the flow glowing locks on your face. Uh, so things are a little bit different in the world of Newman University right now. Uh, it just like every university and every sporting event out there in the world today. Uh, so take us back to March. Let's get started there. Take us back to when everything sort of went down. What was Newman right in the middle of and what did things look like when everything kind of shut down several months ago? Well, that was about the time when 
you'll recall the postseason basketball tournaments were wrapping up from conference play, and we were about to start NCAA tournament play. Obviously, the Jets did not qualify, so I wasn't in the middle of prep for that. We were in the middle of baseball season, and the plan was that uh, you know we we're going to be broadcasting some baseball games on the Jets audio platform, the Jets audio network. Uh, and I remember looking at my phone one day and um, thinking, you know, I'm watching all these things getting canceled. And I remember distinctly watching the Big East tournament. I, I, I can say that I actually watched the entire Big East tournament this year because it was one half of basketball. And I'm looking and I'm thinking like, man, you know, what's going on here? They're canceling all these games. And I'm looking at my phone like, man, Newman baseball is on the field right now. Are they going to pull them off? Are they going to finish the game? Uh, I think they did finish the game. They didn't finish the series. And uh, obviously it was, you remember back at that time, everything changed so quickly, so rapidly. And games got canceled at the MIAA just about a day after the association had come out and said, we're not canceling any games. We're going to keep moving forward. Um, you know, the, the information just changed so quickly. Obviously, as you guys know, the, you know, baseball, softball, all got canceled. All of the events, all of the subsequent national championships also got canceled. The Jets actually... If uh, you want to know the truth of it, probably the winter sports were the most affected, even though basketball did not make it to the postseason, didn't make it to MIAA Badness. The Jets did have two wrestlers that had made the national tournament, and they were going to be going for the Jets' second NCAA championship uh, in wrestling. Two guys, both qualified and both had pretty decent hopes to bring home a national title to Wichita and never got their chance to wrestle up there. I think it was in Indianapolis this year. So that was obviously just really big. And I think that the fallout from that has been, you know, trying to put together what the 2020-21 season is going to look like in terms of budgets, in terms of schedules. And obviously the biggest news I think that's come after the cancellation of games has been the reduction of the contest minimums and the contest maximums for Division II schools. Normally there is a certain number of games you can play and there are some games you can play that are considered exempt. They don't count against your contest maximum. Well, the minimums have been lowered. The maximums have been lowered. The schedules had to get thrown out the window. And so for Jets fans out there, you're going to see a schedule this season that has no non-conference play. 22 MIAA games for the Jets, and that's it for basketball. Volleyball does not have their schedule out quite yet, but you know everything's getting reduced, looking to reduce travel. Uh, obviously, a huge, huge adjustment for, for the Jets, and uh, it's going to be really difficult, I think, for basketball teams all across the MIAA. One of the most difficult conferences in the country, and now all of a sudden you have no warm-up. You have zero warm-up to get ready for the most grueling Division II schedule in the country. That's going to be a real challenge for Coach Allen and Coach Spence as they look to get the Jets into the tournament this year. Yeah, you know, uh, Blake, one of the things that Weston and I have talked about quite a bit, you know, on this podcast over the last several months is that the only thing that's for sure with COVID-19 is that nothing's for sure. And we've seen that even this week, you know, with with multiple sports and, and players that are, are testing positive and different protocols in place and, you know, all of that. How flexible does uh is newman at this point i mean you have to be you know to basically have a schedule that you're setting but kind of knowing in the back of your mind hey things might change we have no idea what's going to happen a month from now two months from now four five six months from now um i mean what do you think that decision making process looks like and and how flexible are things at this point i think things are as flexible i mean they're as fluid as the water in this bottle you had better be ready to make a change at any given time, because the MIAA may come in and say, well, you know what, we need to tweak this. I mean, what Newman's going to stand up and say, oh, no, we're not going to, please. They're going to do whatever the MIAA tells them to do. If the NCAA comes in and says, you know, we need to push the season back to December. I mean, the schools are going to do whatever the MIAA and the NCAA tells them to. And I think that in some ways it's been a blessing to have Joanna Pryor as the athletic director. Not that 
good old Vic couldn't have handled it because I know he could have. But Joanna being in just her first year, not really set into a routine. Now, she definitely did work with Vic. I mean, she was there for eight-plus years in his office. But she doesn't really have a preconceived notion of how, you know, okay, this is what the athletic year looks like each and every year, and I'm used to it, and I'm comfortable with it. She hasn't had a chance to get comfortable. She's only been there for one year. So I think that that's going to allow her to be a little bit more flexible with all these changes that might be coming. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the biggest problem is what we don't know. Because if things go the right way, you know, we may come around November 1st and the season doesn't actually start till November 19th for MIAA schools. They'll play on that Thursday, Saturday, and then skip Thanksgiving week and then Thursday, Saturday for the rest of the year. And then coming back on that regular Thursday, Saturday, MIAA calendar that they use these days. Um, you know, it, but if things are great in November, it may, maybe we have full stands. Maybe we have fans coming in, no masks, full capacity. And it could go the other direction where we have zero fans. And I have no idea which is more likely. And that's the biggest problem, I think, is we don't know if it's more likely to have zero fans or 100%. I mean, they just, you know, KU football just released that they have contingencies for anywhere between 50 and 100% capacity at Memorial Stadium. That is a huge difference of people that you're planning on. And, and so if, if KU has that much uncertainty, you know that these Division II conferences and schools, and, and certainly Newman has it as well. So obviously, uh, I mean, I think you have to be flexible at this point. You can't go in. to You, you better have a plan. And then you better have a backup to the plan. And then you have better have a backup to that backup and a plan B and then probably a plan C and then a contingency for when plan C goes wrong, because that's exactly what 2020 has been so far. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen in July or August? I mean, there's still two months before the fall season is supposed to start. Luckily, you know, I have not heard now. I'm not in the office every day, obviously, so I don't know about, you know, what the protocols are for testing. I know mo many of the student athletes for Newman are actually working out at home. So it's a little bit different than some of the Big 12 schools are where they're bringing their athletes back in. They have them in the facility. They're testing them every day. That's not the case at Newman. They're already staying on their own. Obviously, that's the best form of social distancing that there is. But, you know, what happens if there happens to be a coronavirus outbreak at Central Missouri on the football team, and it goes through the locker room. What happens if it happens at Missouri Southern? I don't know the answers to that. And I think because you don't know, you just have to plan as best you can based on the information you have at the time and be willing to jump off those tracks and jump onto a different path as soon as you get different information. You know, I think that's a good, a good point as you, as you kind of bring up some of the you know other schools in your conference and then like even the comparison with like what, what KU has in plans. Cause you know, everybody keeps talking right now about, you know, okay, SEC schools, K, you know, K there was, positive tests at K-State and what all these folks, you know, okay, what's going to be the plan when there's a few kids and the, with these schools that have these enormous budgets, well, that's just the tip of the iceberg with, with NCAA sports. I mean, and you can even from there really even just, you know, kind of factor out, okay, you got your, your power five conferences, all those schools probably have the budget to really, really get in there, handle this, keep kids, um, you know, separate or have some sort of plan in place to actually help manage it. But when you kind of whittle your way down to even some of the smaller division one, or you get into division two, I mean, Tommy and I went, you know, NAIA, I think you're really looking at a, a real chance that, you know, seasons get shut down solely because there just isn't budget, you know, there's just not money in the budget to be able to fix and correct some of the, the situations that may arise. And, and I, I think it's, it's really interesting to look at, you know, what's going to happen this upcoming season without just looking at the division one, the big schools that have the money that, you know, obviously SEC football is going to get played this year, how they do it. You know, that's the question, but there's way too much money to be had for them not to play. So I think it's, and, I hate to use the word it's, it's fun to analyze, which it's, I mean, it's a sad situation, but you know, it's a more interesting, I guess, analysis of what's going to happen with some of these smaller schools in D2 and in NAIA. Well, and the other thing you have to realize, and some people have said this, oh, you can't possibly put these student athletes out for fear of their safety. I totally get that. I mean, let's, let's remember that, you know, 
I think that there has been a devaluing of the benefit of a college education because a lot of people want to see these athletes getting paid and they act like the, the, you know, books tuition is meaningless and is worthless. And I think that that's totally wrong. They're, they're getting a benefit. Now that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be getting some of that, the billions of dollars that they are, that they are generating every year. But if you are a fan of sports that don't necessarily make a lot of money, if you like sports like cross country, if you like sports like golf, volleyball at pretty much every school except for Nebraska and maybe Penn State in the country. If you like, you know, all the non-revenue sports, football is what funds those. Obviously, that's not the case at Newman, but, you know, you can imagine what the budget would look like if Newman was not able to welcome in any basketball fans to Fugate Gymnasium this year. It's a really bad situation to be in and not something that any athletic department really has a contingency for. You know, I, I remember hearing on the radio when they were talking, Weston, like you were mentioning about, you know, the fact that SEC football is going to get played just because of the amount of money college football in general, especially at the D1 level is going to get played. And I would think probably at the D2 level too. I mean, you guys from being around here know how big division two football is yeah. in the MIAA. Um, and even, you know, going, you guys were talking about NAI football. I can't imagine the Great Plains Athletic Conference not playing football this year. Those huge NAI schools in Nebraska and Iowa and South Dakota and how much of their total athletic budget is dependent upon football, you know, especially at this level, because, you know, those guys, as long as they get something on the field, they're going to get something from ESPN, from Fox, from CBS, from all those people that are covering the games. MIAA doesn't have an, a national television contract. Case, I, God bless Dr. Scott Crawford. And I know that he would like to have one, and he's got an ESPN3 deal. They've only got one ESPN3 game a week on the KCAC, okay? Yeah. And I'm betting that that's not a six-figure contract. I don't know for sure. That's just my guess. They need fans in order to help support the other student athletes, you know, that help bring up the entire well-rounded college experience that you expect from a high-level NAIA or NCAA Division II program. And so if football doesn't get played, obviously it's going to impact all of those. And certainly from Newman's perspective, if basketball doesn't get played, then the budget problems that you were talking about are going to be amplified even more than they already are. And we haven't even talked about trying to get sponsorships. Remember, we're still in – for a lot of people, now the overall stock market has mostly stabilized, but there are a lot of people that their, I guess, their equation of wealth doesn't necessarily go up when the stock market goes up. You know, right. there if, if you're a normal worker, you're not your retirement may be going up, but you don't necessarily feel all the benefits of the stock of Google or Amazon going up. You don't necessarily see that benefit immediately. And a lot of these programs especially when you're talking about, you know, these small division two schools and KCAC schools that are based out of Lindsburg, McPherson, um, you know, central Missouri is in Warrensburg, Northwest Missouri and Marysville. These are small communities. Newman is a little bit of an outlier in Wichita, but there's still a lot of, you know, Newman gets a lot of support from locally owned small businesses. And, and that's where the boosters come from in these small communities plus Wichita. You know, if they are not doing well with this economy, you know, that can be a really big hit to the budget. So I imagine that all of these people who are trying to raise money, even for people at Wichita State, KU at Kansas State, you know, I have to imagine, you know, trying to get money out of people when you can't tell someone, you can't go to a Tommy Castor and say, this is how many football games we're going to play this year. You know, will you still give us money? You can't say that. We don't know how many football games you're going to play this year. And if I have to say that they're not asking me anything because I I've got like 20 bucks to my name. Uh, so they're, they're not knocking on my door. I do have to, I do have to say though, I mean, that that's an area that we've not really discussed much on this podcast. I mean, we've obviously talked about the impact of COVID on fans, you know, in arenas and in stadiums. We've talked about, you know, the the protocols and players. We haven't really talked about the financial implications, you know, the budgeting a little bit, but not about 
you know, donors, not about sponsorships, mm-hmm. you know, not about things like that. And, and, and I think that there's, you know, scenarios where programs and universities, even pro teams to an extent, uh, and, and professional leagues are going to have to get creative. You know, how do you make up that lost money? What do you do? And then when you go and you talk to boosters or you go and you talk to people who, you know, are potential season ticket holders, what are you going to do to entice them to show up to the ballpark if you can, I mean, like if it's allowed, you know, with, with, with people in the stands and, you know, I saw it was an informal study on Twitter that uh, a guy that I follow, who's a big time uh, University of Kansas athletics blogger, uh, you know, posted a poll question about would you feel safe going to a game, uh, a college football game or a college basketball game uh, if you were allowed to? And it was about split even like 50 50, you know, half said yes, half said no. And it, you know, it makes you wonder what's that pitch? How do you, how, how do you convince people? Number one, that they should go to a game and also that they should be spending money and supporting that program. So, you know, Blake, I would imagine that at Newman, you know, obviously things are fluid and there's no, you know, there's no idea exactly what's going to happen, but I would imagine that it may take programs and universities like Newman and like other division two NAIA schools, they're going to have to get creative. How do you make up that potential shortfall? And I think that one of the things that these schools have to do, and I know something that Newman is, is working on is the fact that you've got to be able to connect with people in other ways, other than getting them into your gym. You know, the, the big, the big charge this summer has been, and I mean, the, the, the timing could not have been any worse for Newman and, and any of these schools, but the Jets made the decision uh, from the top of the athletic department, and you know they brought in Zane Ealing, their longtime baseball coach, brought him into the department as an associate athletic director for external operations. He's in charge of raising money for the department. It was something that Newman needed to do, and they did it last offseason. And one thing that they really wanted to do this season was to really pump up the Jet Open, make the Jet Open the biggest that it's ever been. Um, you know, I don't know what the signups are looking like. Are people going to be comfortable going out and playing at that golf course? You know, previously we've had, I mean, you were there for one of those Jet Open banquets. There's a lot of people in those rooms. It's pretty crowded. Uh, they, when they've had it at the Dugan Gorgeous Conference Center back when it used to be on campus, it was really crowded in there. Are people going to be okay going out and playing golf? I hope so. I mean, the golf courses are open. I mean, you golf way more than I do. I, you know, I, I'm not a golfer. I, I think people are still going out to golf and obviously if you don't have those people going out getting the visibility at the golf course you know what does that look like for a potential booster or an advertiser or a business you know luckily there have been a lot of new businesses this year that have come on board a lot of small businesses a lot of the longtime sponsors of newman that have re-upped for the jets and one thing that newman's been doing this year is kind of making it a one size fits all uh, package so that if you sponsor the Jet Open, you're going to get advertising on the Newman Jets Audio Network. You're going to get signage in the gym, which is not something they've ever done before. So I think in terms of trying to be creative, I think that's something that all of these athletic departments, whether it's University of Kansas or, you know, USD 259 with the signage they have in the City League gyms, you're going to have to get creative and you're going to have to give your advertisers maybe more than you would want to because, you know, the signage in the gym, you know, in every single gym, and I've been in all of them, you know, when I used to cover high school basketball, you know, there's a sign up there from Wichita State and it says, uh, you know, Falcons make great shockers or Crusaders make great shockers in all the gyms. Wichita State's not really getting the full bang for their buck if there's nobody there to watch that game. So I think creativity and just being able to connect and obviously, um, you know, trying to play toward, uh, I guess, the the charitable side of people um, for all these departments is going to be something that that that's just the way it's going to have to be done this year. You're going to try to get people to give because they like the school, because they support the coaches, because they support the players. Um, you know, maybe not necessarily because they want to see a return in their in their ad dollars. Blake, I, I will mention as as you talked about uh, Newman Golf, my one connection to New, the Newman Jet program is my brother in law golfed. I think he would have been 
graduated last year, maybe the year before, and was a golfer okay. at, at Newman. Caleb Haight, give him a quick okay. shout out. If he, he says he listens to the podcast, so we'll see if he actually does. Now that I gave him a shout out on air, he would have been the last class of old Coach Noti, who just uh, just retired this last season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Taryn Torgerson is now the director of golf. She is a former Wichita State University golfer and now is the director of golf for both the men and the women. Um, if you want more information about the Jet Open, by the way, you can go to newmanjets.com slash Jet Open. If you want to be a sponsor or if you just want to play golf. I mean, I know that every little thing helps, even if it's just going out, buying a round of golf and bringing a foursome. You know that that's that's all you need to do. It's newmanjets.com slash jet open. But yeah, Tommy, it, it's uh, it, I, I have to imagine. Let's just put it this way: I'm glad that I'm not raising money for a university right now. That it has to be one of the most stressful jobs when things are going well, and in this climate, when you, there are so many factors, has to be one of the hardest jobs in America. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. You know, one of the things that I want to ask you about uh, before we transition away from Newman and, and get on to some other topics on the show, this has been kind of uh, the last year or so has been a big transitional time, you know, for Newman, not only leadership in, in the athletic department, uh, but also leadership at the university as a whole with the brand new president uh, at Newman. Obviously, this time period is pretty crazy. Uh, I would imagine that having you know, new leadership and, and, you know, kind of getting through that transitional time and with new, you know, new stability, new people in charge, um, thing, you know, things can be different, but also things can also be positive. And it sure sounds like, uh, some of these changes, not that things were negative before, but it sure sounds like some of these changes have been, you know, really positive, uh, for Newman university. Oh, I absolutely think so. I mean, the, the, the change of getting into the mid-America intercollegiate athletic association outside of the, you know, instead of the Heartland Conference has been huge for Newman's visibility. The fact that Newman gets to play, you know, looking at, I got their schedule up right here in front of me. Newman gets home and home this year with every single school in Kansas in uh, the MIAA. Emporia State, Pitt State, Washburn, Fort Hay State, home and home with all of them. You know, God bless those Catholic schools in Texas, St. Edwards, St. Mary's, they're good programs. St. Edwards on the men's side last year was ranked, I think, number two in the country at one point. Nobody in Wichita cares about the Rattlers or the Hilltoppers. They just don't. It's not a natural rivalry. When the Tigers show up, when the Ichabods and Lady Blues show up, people care. When the Hornets are here, people care. And there's a lot of alumni for those schools around. And that's who the Newman fans have always wanted to see. They want to see those MIAA games. And so now they get that. I think Joanna Pryor has done a great job of trying to look toward the future. They're working on uh, new building plans. Obviously, the Heartland Conference was about the right size for Newman when they jumped from the NAIA. They used to be an, they were an MCAC school. They used to play in Haskell's League about, what was it, 12 years ago. They were an NAIA school. So when they got into the Heartland Conference, everything was just about right for the Heartland Conference. The gym was about the right size. The athletic department was about the right size. But as you guys know, the MIAA is not the Heartland Conference. Mm -hmm. This is one of the most competitive. You look at all the sports. Men's basketball. We'll just we'll throw football out because Newman doesn't play football, but they're really good at football too. Men's basketball, women's basketball, volleyball, some of the best in the conference, pretty good softball teams, decent baseball teams at the top. It's it's really, really difficult to compete because all of those schools, you know, most of them are public. So they have public funding. Now, obviously, in this time with of you know lower sales taxes, who knows what that's going to look like? It's an added element of uncertainty for them. But you know, Newman's got no public funding. It's a the only private Division II school in Kansas. So everything that Newman gets, it's from supporters, boosters, and ticket sales. So, you know, you've got a really high level of competition and facilities are really high. And so that's something that they're building with. I have not gotten a chance to talk to President Jagger, Kathleen Jagger, who is the new president of Newman University, but she'll have, I think, she has an opportunity to make a huge difference. You know, I've always, and the, the coaches have talked to me about this as well. You know, I firmly believe that athletics is the best way to market a university. And 
if you want a case study, all you got to do is look down the street at about 21st and Hillside, approximately, and what happened at Wichita State when this guy named Greg Marshall showed up, and the amount of applications, the amount of, you know, mind share that Wichita State had before. And by the way, Mark Turgeon, you know, built that program back up. Not so good before Mark Turgeon got there. Mark Turgeon got that brand going again in the community. It's not like, you know, Greg Marshall showed up. It was just gravel there at Coke Arena, okay? You know, they, <laughs> they had top 25 teams, all right? But this guy, Greg Marshall, shows up, and all of a sudden, Wichita State's not just a South Central Kansas brand, not just a Central Time Zone brand. All of a sudden, it is a national brand, and it was reflected in terms of applications, about people requesting applications. And I think that for Newman, they've got to try to approach it the same way. They need to get people into the door. You know, they've got something that nobody else has in the MIAA. They have a Catholic mission. It's a Catholic Christian-based university. But, uh, you know, I don't, and I, they've got great science program. They got a brand new science building. One of the best medical, you know, doctorate programs, medical degree programs in the state. I don't see a lot of people with, you know, Newman nursing t-shirts. I see a lot of people with this logo on their shirt out in the community. So you have to use the brand of your athletics to bring people in and tell them your story. Tell them why you're different. Tell them about the education, the one-on-one -on -one treatment for professors, the outstanding quality of facilities like they have in the new science building and, you know, get people in that way. So uh, you are right. There, There's a lot of uncertainty, but with uncertainty, I think also comes opportunity. And I think President Jagger has got a huge opportunity to not just change, you know, the athletic department, but also the entire school. And I hope she will. We've Blake. got Blake Cripps on Keeper of the Games here with us uh, today. And sorry to cut you off, Weston, no, okay. but... Uh... You know, I, I, you know, basically just want to uh, just remind folks who Blake is. He's, you know, the voice of the Newman University Jets. And, and Blake, before we move on uh, to some other topics, I do want to give you a chance to uh, plug the Newman podcast because I know that there's uh, a podcast going on talking all things Jets. Uh, so let folks know where they can find that. So it's at NewmanJets.com. Obviously, uh, we have not been producing the podcast because there's no sports. So, uh, you know, but, but it will be coming back. It's at NewmanJets.com slash podcasts. And uh, all the games this upcoming season, uh, you know, assuming we have not finalized any of this stuff yet because we haven't really finalized that there's actually going to be a season to broadcast. I certainly hope that there is. But uh, we plan to do all the games on the Newman Jets audio network once again. And you can, if you've got a phone, you can download the Newman Jets app. It's right here. You can listen to the games on your mobile device, on your computer, newmanjets.com slash listen. Uh, so it's newmanjets.com slash podcasts for uh, the podcast. It's called the Jetcast. And it's available on Spotify. Uh, newmanjets.com will give you all the information and all the links for all the schedules, how to download the app. It's all at newmanjets.com. Blake, the way you've been able to smoothly promote uh, Newman within this podcast, we're going to have 80s lined up, I think, trying to get their play-by-play -play guys in with us <laughs> to, to pump the university. No, I, I like it, though. I do. Uh, hey, I mean, Blake. I to give them my phone number yeah. if they want. There you go. Hey, Blake, are you cool with hanging on with us and talking yeah. more sports as we go on? Absolutely. I'm not just a Jets fan, but uh, go Jets. But yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting how even though there hasn't been a lot of sports going on, like on the field outside of soccer in Europe, there's been a lot of news this last week. Hasn't that been kind of crazy? Yeah, yeah there's been a lot that's been going on and we're going to dive into at least a couple of those topics. And first things first, uh, we're going to stay pretty local and talk about uh, how COVID, how the whole pandemic has impacted at least one area prep school. And that's USD 397. That's in the small town of Lost Springs, which is is up in Marion County, about, I don't know, a little over an hour northeast of Wichita, where one of their student athletes has tested positive for COVID-19. This story came out in the Wichita Eagle, uh, I believe two days ago, 
uh, and voluntary workouts had started. Summer workouts had started uh, up in that school district. I believe it's the center school district uh, up there in Lost Springs. So, Weston, I'll start with you. You know, obviously, we've talked about, you know, COVID-19 and the pandemic through the lens of professional teams and college programs. But now that there's been at least someone uh, at a prep school, an athlete testing positive, does that change the way that we should be approaching prep athletics as we move on through this summer and into the fall? You know, obviously, prep prep athletics are going to have a lot of the same issues that college do, but then you kind of even tear down from there because, you know, it's, it sounds like, and I, it didn't give me a definitive answer from the, from the uh, news story, but it looks like they were just taking temperatures. This kid was running a temperature and that's how they found it. I cannot imagine that many, if any high schools have adequate testing at all. And that's just testing. So that's having a, a anywhere from 15 to 18 year old kid come to you and say, Hey, I, you know, I think I need to be tested for COVID. I mean, that's not going to happen. And then from there, like there's certainly, there's not going to be any type of antibody testing when someone does test positive to see, you know, all the other teammates, you'd think there's got to be some sort of level of if one, one person on the team tests positive, unless they've got the means and ability to adequately test everybody, you may look at having to shut a team down for two, two weeks, I suppose. I mean, I don't know how they're going to go about that. And then I think the other for sure aspect that high school is going to deal with that the college, the college level is not is you've got parents to deal with, you know, in college it's, you know, you got 18 year old kids that can make their own decisions. I mean, yeah, maybe you've got some schools that mom and dad, you know, chirps a little bit here and there, but ultimately that doesn't matter. The prep level, that's a whole different ball game. Now, when you got parents saying, I'm not letting my kid play or on the flip side, you've got parents who are, are complaining saying, oh, what's, you know, I don't care if, you know, so-and-so on the team, my kid can play. I mean, that's, it's just going to be a whole world of hurt. And I, I think of all these things, I think high school has a very uphill battle uh, to figure this all out. And, you know, Blake, I want to get your thoughts on this too. You know, my opinion is I, I, I kind of side with Weston somewhat where, you know, we were, we were talking just a little bit ago about how the smaller college programs, they don't necessarily have the budget or the resources or the personnel to be able to have these big time complex protocols that the, the huge D1 schools and the professional leagues all have. And obviously, in the case of a, a prep athlete, especially in a small town contracting COVID, you're you're talking about a minor who's playing a voluntary sport that really in the whole scheme of things does. And I don't know what kind of athlete this person was, if they were a football player, if they were a volleyball player. I'm not exactly sure what they did, what, what sport they played. But it's completely voluntary and probably completely unnecessary. The stakes are not nearly as high, especially in in that sort of small town. So I even think just having one case in a small town and it's a student athlete at a high school is really, really concerning to me. I want to get your thoughts on that, too. Well, if you in the article, they actually said that they not only did they place the student in quarantine for 14 days, they quarantined all of their teammates. Do they? Identify, I don't know, identified the yeah, football. Pretty sure it's so football. It's, I know that center is eight-man division two, class 1A basketball. So you're looking at a roster size. If I uh, go back to my Nebraska days where I actually covered eight-man football, you know, probably like 16 on the roster. You know, there were some schools that I covered that had only 10. So it's not like, you know, you're, you're shutting down a school the size of – Wichita East or Bishop Carroll, you know, putting hundreds of got hundred guys into quarantine. But you know, it, it is a difficult situation. I think the most difficult part is the lack of support staff. You know, USD two five nine here in Wichita, they can get cleaner enough for everybody. I think. You know, I think that Carroll and and Capen, they can get enough sanitizer and gloves and and those things to to clean stuff out. But the problem is, you have to have you have to have people in order to do that. You know, at KU, they've got you know, at all these big schools, they've got a people they've got people that are only in charge of cleaning the equipment after the game. Then they got somebody else in charge of taking care of the athletes, taking care of the stadium. You don't have that at these schools, and you certainly don't have it at the eight-man Division II level. So I think the lack of support staff is the number one challenge. 
And what do you do? You know, you mentioned that, yes, it's not something that has to happen in terms of the entire context of athletics. If center doesn't play their high school football season this year, the world is going to go on. And I, I get that, but you might get a different answer if you ask one of those kids at center that doesn't get to play their senior season or doesn't get to play their last two basketball postseasons. Because, you know, in Kansas, it's not like you could just redshirt and come back. This is it. You got four years of eligibility and you got four years to play it in. You don't get a second chance. So to those kids, it's a big deal. It's a big deal if they don't get to play. And I totally understand if they want to play at all costs. And, you know, how do you how do you get parents to go on board with that? That's that's a tough conversation. And I just go back to what we talked about, you know, as recently as 15 minutes ago about, you know, I know Weston, you had said the, like, you know, the SEC is going to play football this year. They're going to find a way to make it happen. There's too much money to be had for them to not have some kind of season. When you go on the completely opposite direction, when you're looking at an eight man class, you know, one, a football team in rural Kansas. And I know it's important to those kids. I'm sure it's important to the town. But really, in the whole scheme of things, it's really not that important overall, especially if there's a risk. And, and I know that we're, we're in the month of June right now. The season doesn't get started until, you know, after Labor Day, probably, you know, so there's there's some time. Uh, but at least in, in, in my mind and, you know, I, I don't know, Weston, if I think you and I might be sort of on the same page with this. It just doesn't seem to be totally worth it. Now, I, I do want to I want to get your thoughts, Weston, because you did play prep football mm-hmm. and, you know, Blake and I did not. So, you know, I, in the locker room, I mean, if you were in Lost Springs, are you saying we're going to play at all costs or is there a part of you that's saying it might be better to shut it down? I, I can promise you that at anywhere between, you know, I guess I started playing at, at 12 and ended at ended playing football at 22 any one of those years, I would have wanted to play no questions asked. And I say that from the lens more of at that age, kind of ignorance is bliss. I, I don't know that I would have even comprehended the the gratitude of what's going on. And football was my world and, and football would have been, you know, it's going to be the world for a lot of those kids playing. But one, one, and one thing that I think could be interesting here, and I do want to make a quick correction. I, I skimmed through that article. It actually doesn't say football. The picture they tweeted with the article was football players, some like doing summer workouts, which so they got me there. I don't know if that's a, a subtle <laughs> hint or not, but, but the other thing, so in Blake, you kind of were, were touching on, that with the, the rural communities, you know, it's going to be a little bit different than the Wichita City League that may have, you know, the funds or some of the bigger high schools to kind of come in and handle it. I actually think it's it's flipped. I actually think the rural communities are going to be set up a whole lot better, not so much to handle it, but to continue on with the season because the numbers of cases in those communities are so small. I think it is going to be dang near impossible to keep kids in the Wichita area from someone on the team continuously testing positive. Whereas a rural community, like, you know, I went to Andale high school. So I I think out there where the the numbers are pretty low, you know, you get one kid test. Yeah. That may have a very major effect for 14 days or whatever you kind of decide the protocol is because they just don't have the funding or manpower to really go in and, and clean up or test people. But after that, I think those kids are going to have just a lot less exposure. And I think of somewhere like Sinner, like where this story is kind of breaking from, like how many positive tests can you really be having out there? So the, the only the only thing that I would push back with is, remember, you know, if one person gets sick at, let's say, Bishop Carroll, they got probably 90 other guys. If one person gets sick at center, true, that may be, you know, if he's the starting quarterback True. for the AM team, probably is the starting free safety. Yeah. That is a huge mm-hmm. loss. And for a lot of these, a lot of these schools, that's the way it is. You know, that we're used in the now that we're in the big city, and I don't want to say, you know, like we've never been in small towns. You know, I know that uh, that 
Tommy, you know, went to, uh, you know, is a mount, former mound builder, uh, you know, aficionado. Yeah. So, you know, Winfield, Kansas, that that's, that's pretty much a small town situation there. Um, but, you know, there, there are a lot of these small schools. I spent in the, my first four years of my career were in Fairbury, Nebraska, population, you know, 4,200 on a good day, you know, probably 3,000 on Monday through Friday, 4,200 on Easter. And, you know, a lot of the, the towns that I broadcast football games in, under 100 people. And when, when it was Friday, just plan on not going to the grocery store on Friday if you live in that town. Oh, because sure. they're all the football games. Sure. And if you have – I agree with you from the fact that there's just not going to be as many people for it to spread to on a small team. You know, like you said, if it's in a town of 100 people, not that many people can get sick. There's only 100 people there. But if one person does get sick, that could be a significant portion of your roster. And that could be a really difficult, even impossible. I mean, what if your quarterback gets sick? That might be the only good quarterback you have in the entire county. You know, you don't know. Um, so I think on on that end, that's the only pushback that I would give. That person is probably not only the starting quarterback and the starting free safety. He's probably also the starting shooting guard on the basketball team. He's probably the starting third baseman on the baseball team. He probably runs track. I mean, he does everything, right? Uh, so, yeah, I definitely think that there could, there could certainly be some major issues with that for sure. Let's move on and talk Major League Baseball. So we, we're going now back to the other extreme. We talked about... About, uh, small town rural prep high school and now we're talking about major league baseball weston and i have talked at length on this podcast about the saga of major league baseball will they have a season won't they have a season will the ownership and the union come to an agreement it's been back and forth and you know what's crazy weston is that last week on this show we reported that they were nearing a deal and it was going to be so close <laughs> And they didn't actually finalize one until Monday, uh, but it looks like we're we're good to go. It looks like as of right now, there's going to be a 60-game season as mandated by the commissioner of baseball. Uh, it took a long time to get to this point. It looked took a lot of arguing and a lot of hand-wringing. And really, I don't think, other than the fact that baseball is going to be happening, I really don't think there's anything to be happy about, about how this process played out. But I guess in the end, as of now, there's going to be a Major League Baseball season starting in late July. So Weston, now that that's been finalized, your thoughts on the plan that Major League Baseball has in place? Yeah, before I mean, before I just jump into like, okay, you know, what's this season going to look like? The only other thing I'll add, because you and I have talked at length about this process and what it did for baseball and the owners and the players and who was right and who was wrong and how annoying the whole thing was. Something I hadn't thought about, I heard someone mention that the reason this took so long is that the owners purposely dragged it out knowing that they wanted the short amount of games in the shortest amount of time to avoid losing money. And I guess I I hadn't I – mean, maybe that's so obvious to everyone else. I just hadn't thought about, oh, the reason this is taking so long to get to where we all thought was on purpose. But anyways, I digress. I, I do think – I think I love the idea of a 60-game season. I think it's going to be incredibly fun baseball. I think for people who may not typically be baseball fans, now more than ever is a time to tune in. I'm not saying that I necessarily think people will. But with a 60-game season, every game matters so much more. You're going to be able to – have an idea of a playoff picture really quickly. I think that normally while baseball has been trying to make the game more fast paced, what they've done is made the season more fast paced, which I think creates a positive effect that they were been trying to get all these years out of, of just increasing the pace of the game. So I'm excited for that. I, I think it, and I think it also gives teams like the Royals or other teams that coming into this year may not have thought they had much of a chance. I think it increases that a little bit. I mean, when there's such a smaller margin for error and you could probably roll out four man rotations. So a team that's just not as deep in pitching now can go four man, you know, four guys deep. You're going to have a D uh, both leagues. You're going to have a DH. So that's going to be, that's going to give a lot of different uh, guys extra at bats that you maybe haven't seen otherwise. Um, I, it is going to be – I'm so excited for, for the season because I think it's going to be such a different experience even though you know we're still playing the same old base, game of baseball that we've known since the 1800s. 
I know that, uh, that that on the last episode, you know, when we were complaining about this process and how frustrating it was between the ownership and the union, and I, I remember Weston, you making the comment at the end of the day, if they can reach an agreement, you know, I think you said the the what else, what other choice do the fans have but to watch it? Like they may be pissed off about the process, but they're going to quickly forget about it yeah. when the games actually start happening. And and I didn't, I I disagreed with you in that moment. But now that there's a pan a plan in place, yeah, I can still be pissed off about how you know the 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 way it took to get here. But I am excited for the games themselves uh, to actually happen. I do have to say before I give you my opinion on the, the plan they put together uh, for the first time ever. And I've kind of gotten more into sports betting over the last couple of months just because I've been <laughs> yep, me too. I'm so happy to sports are back. So I put, I, I put I put $20 on my team, the Atlanta Braves, to win the World Series this year. And so if they do, I think I win like 350 bucks and then maybe we can finally, wow. you know, upgrade this podcast and, you know, actually have it be, you know, good quality. Tommy, uh, Tommy, but, I, I, yeah. can't, I can't do that math. What odds did you get? I'm just curious. Uh, 15 to one. Okay. 15 perfect. to one. Odds. Yep, yep, 15 <laughs> to one. I like that. Right. Yeah. I think I agree. I, I think so. I, I'm good with that. Uh, but no, I agree with you. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that are in place that it's going to make this season really exciting. The fact that, you know, that the DH is going to be happening in both leagues. Uh, I, I really am intrigued by the way they put the schedule together and the fact that, you know, there are going to be 10 games for each team against the four divisional opponents and then 20 games against the opposite leagues corresponding geographical divisions. So like the NL East will play the AL least you know and vice versa mm-hmm. so you're not going to see teams traveling cross country i think that's pretty ingenious i kind of like the way that they did that for sure you know and then some other things you know too like the trade deadline being pushed back to the end of uh, of august the you know I, I know a lot of people have been talking about uh the fact that the new extra inning rule and about how you know the the runner's going to start on second base to start that inning i think that's going to make things a little bit more interesting but the one thing that i want to draw our attention to and and Blake, I'll throw it to you after I, I mention this and get your thoughts on this is the taxi squad players that it, that's going to be in place for this upcoming season. The teams will be permitted to carry up to three taxi squad players on the road during the season, though, if a team carries three such players, one must be a catcher. I relate that back to minor league baseball, and there's still a lot of questions. And I think probably a lot of people are just anticipating there's not going to be a minor league season at all, because I think there's going to be a lot more opportunities for those minor league players to play in this short season in the majors. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously Wichita wind surge baseball up in the air, who knows if that's going to happen. I would imagine with this plan, probably more than likely no minor league season. Wouldn't you say? Uh, I would, I don't think from the managerial standpoint and from a general managerial standpoint, I don't think that the taxi players are going to make that big of a difference because this is what baseball does. They're juggling rosters all the time. They're calling people up. They're putting people down. They already have an addition of people onto the roster in September. Anyway, they are always cutting in the postseason. Once they make the postseason, once they make the next round of the postseason, once they make the World Series, you know, based on injuries, who are we bringing up? Who are we bringing down? I think that managers and general managers are already very well equipped to handle this and in order to deal with this. I do think that the one interesting thing, and this can go back to both the college level that we were talking about with Newman and the local level, and certainly at the major league level in terms of coronavirus. The teams that win might be the teams that don't have an outbreak. You know, if if your whole starting pitching staff gets coronavirus because they all, let's say they have a dinner out at a restaurant and they happen to all get infected, I mean, your team's screwed. You, you're, you're done. What if the running back room at Kansas State all gets coronavirus? You know, what if... You know, Northwest Missouri State, their men's basketball team has it run through their team. So the team that doesn't have uh, that stays clean and I don't clean's probably not the right word because, you know, all the not nobody's out there trying to get sick from coronavirus. But the team that can stay healthy and the programs that stay healthy may have an advantage. But I totally agree with Weston on this. This creates urgency in baseball. I mean, when's the last time that a June or July baseball game mattered? I would guess 1998 
when we had the home run chase? Yeah. June and July baseball doesn't matter. Nobody cares about it. Get me to September when we're trying to make the postseason, and then get me into the wild card games. That's what I care. Nobody cares about June and July baseball. 60 games, every game is going to matter. Um, and also, by the way, this is great for the Astros because there's going to be nobody at the stands to boo them because they would have gotten crushed this year. <laughs> If there were fans there, but uh, so it's great for the Astros, and I, I totally agree with Weston. I don't know if I like Universal DH long term or the softball fast pitch, you know, extra inning rules long term, but sixty game season I think will be extremely exciting this year. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned, and I don't want to get off topic here because we're talking baseball, but you mentioned what happens if the entire running back room at K-State goes down with coronavirus. You know, we talked on the last episode about the outbreak at Kansas State and, and even the athletic director, Gene Taylor, said in an interview on Monday, he said, and I quote, I'm certainly more nervous that throughout the year we may have a loss of games. I do think we'll get games in whether it's 12 or nine or whatever the number is. I'm not as confident about getting all 12 in right now that I probably was a week ago so that goes back to the whole you got to have a plan a plan a a plan b a plan c a contingency plan and just have you know be totally flexible because who knows what's going to happen and you know even as this day has gone on we're recording this on on wednesday evening I was watching ESPN and there were multiple stories of players in all sorts of leagues that were, you know, testing yeah. positive. Charlie Blackman from the Rockies tested positive. And, uh, you know, there were a couple of NBA players that were tested positive today. Golfers were testing positive. Uh, it's just, it's his yeah. own tennis tournament tested positive. Exactly. So, you know, I think I, 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 I definitely agree with you, Blake, when you say the teams that are the most successful, maybe the ones that follow the protocols enough to the point and maybe just have dumb luck and nobody contracts the disease or it's very minimal. Those might be the teams that have the most success for sure this well, season. The other question that I have is like, what happens if you have a situation where a whole team gets sick? Like, like what would like Weston, what if the whole Royals team is sick? Like, do they forfeit those games? Do those games get made up? Do they just not get counted? Do they get taken off the schedule? If you're the commissioner of baseball, what do you do if a team just happens to lose all of their players? Like if the Royals lose all their pitchers, is that just a no contest? You know, I, I'm wondering, and my guess would be, uh, I think every avenue would be taken to, to play that game. And I, and I haven't seen far enough into, so I saw that, you know, it's, it's your traditional 10 day IL for is what would be where you'd go on for, for COVID. So I wonder how many people you can, can, you know, call up essentially. So like basically your triple A guys that aren't your taxi squad, are they just supposed to be on standby? And essentially, cause I would, especially you would especially think, let's say the Royals are out of it, but someone's not. And you know how baseball is. I mean, even a a bad team's going to, you know, they're going to win 40, 50, 60 games in a year, whatever. Um, you'd still want those games to be played for the teams that are competing, even if it is a bad team. So I think I would think major league baseball would rather have, Hey Royals grab all your triple a guys we'd rather you run that out there than just us forfeit a game and lose it. But I mean, who knows the other thing too. And, and I, I asked this question in jest, but I'm also kind of serious, especially with the way baseball players can be uh, mental and superstitious you think a guy like Charlie Blackman would try to go out and catch COVID right now? I mean, he's going to quarantine 14 days and then he's good. I mean, he's good. You know, I mean, I, I obviously I say it joking, but you know, boy, he looks like he's got an advantage now. And obviously, I mean, again, you know, I, I don't want to make light for the people who are actually getting sick and it, it being a problem, but for a guy like Charlie Blackman, who all signs pointing to him catching it and being fine, just needing to stay away from others, you know, it, it'll be, I don't know. That's wild. I do have to say, though, that, you know, the, the question of what would happen if an entire team comes down with COVID, we may be potentially seeing players that we've never heard of before that we'll never see again. This was reported by a longtime baseball journalist, Jason Stark, yesterday. Uh, he's reporting it on Twitter. He said uh, Major League Baseball has been talking with the city of Nashville 
about having two teams there of unsigned players. They would serve as an emergency pool of players and they would make $400 per week. Major League Baseball teams would have to pay a fee to Nashville to sign one of those players. So it looks like that hasn't been confirmed. Sources are saying that Jason Stark is reporting that, that there could potentially be an emergency pool of players. So can you imagine if you're, let's just say the Royals and there's an outbreak in the clubhouse and half your team goes down, you could be signing temporarily players in Nashville to come and play for your squad for a couple of weeks. And then they go back to Nashville. You never hear of them again. I mean, this could be some completely unprecedented uh, situations that we're seeing in Major League Baseball. Fantastic opportunity for someone who just never quite made it or, you know, this or that. But, but you know, and I, I haven't seen yet. Maybe, Tommy, you have seen it out there um, as far as how they're going to handle minor league contracts, because I would actually anticipate that with these taxi squad players or whatever they're calling them, I would actually think there'd probably be more opportunity for veteran players who have not been getting work lately than necessarily the minor league guys. Cause I don't think a, a Kansas City Royals or anybody else for that matter is going to want to call up a player and, and start to, you know, accrue service time for a player who then ultimately they're going to lose control over for a short game season for a freak thing. I would think they'd much rather have, you know, uh, you know, uh, Gil Mesh or uh, Joe Randa come up, come come back and and throw them in. I'm sorry. The first the first name you came up with was Gil Mesh. I, of wanted, all people. I wanted to make a point. Okay. Yeah, you made that point. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the situation is with that. Um, you know, I, I but I agree with you. I mean, I do think that you know that was one of the hangups from what I know with with the debate between the union and the ownership about service time accrual and how you know pay is going to work and with minor leaguers and that sort of thing. So you know, it's 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 clearly not a. Oh, did, we uh, did we lose Tommy there? Uh oh, Tommy. Yeah, Tommy. Fro- Tommy froze on us. So. So let me go ahead and say, because I assume this thing is still recording. It says it is. The biggest thing that would be hanging in that situation would be a Gilmesh curveball hit out of the yard by the Yankees. Okay. <laughs> Gilmesh, what a disaster that would be. It looks like Tommy is bad. Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. We've, That's my bad. We filled the time with more Gilmesh talk. Don't worry. Yeah. No, I'm glad I couldn't have come back any sooner than if you were talking more about Gilmesh. Hey, before. before Gil Mesh got brought up. There we go. Before we wrap up uh, the program, though, uh, we were going to talk Wichita Open. We're running out of time. We'll have to talk about Wichita Open uh, next week on the show. But I do want to touch on really quickly, Weston, and I'm going to throw it to you about this, uh, staying on the topic of Major League Baseball and the Kansas City Royals. Uh, So undrafted free agents, they clearly won uh, the, the sweepstakes when it came to these guys signing them after the Major League draft. In fact, a lot of people are saying they were number one in Major League Baseball. So you've got more info on that. Yeah. And the reason why we want to point this out, too, because I know a lot of people may be listening and thinking, okay, undrafted free agents, like, why do we necessarily care about that? Well, the MLB draft was five rounds shorter this year. Um, So, you know, it's a lot of players that would be getting drafted otherwise. And and if you're tagging, you know, snagging the top talent, I mean, that's guys that you it's not like you could have drafted them one, two, three, you know, four in the last five rounds of your draft because they would have been snatched up. So um, big talk. um, Jim Callis, who I'm not familiar with, but he's on the MLB network. He listed the top 15 undrafted free agents um, and the Royals had five of the 15. And I'll give you a quick rundown of what's what they got going on. The number one undrafted free agent was Kale Imsoff. Uh, he's a catcher from Arkansas. Little Rock hit 417 last year. Um, oh, he missed all 2019 with Tommy John and then hit 419. Um, then the number two undrafted free agent was Tucker Bradley, outfielder out of Georgia. He uh, hit 397 in his last season with the Bulldogs. And then if you hop down to number seven, uh, John McMillan, right-handed pitcher out of Texas Tech. And then the Royals also followed up with number 12 and number 13, number 12 being Chase Wallace, right-handed pitcher out of Tennessee, and 13, uh, Sal Garza, uh, catcher out of LSU. So a uh, real nice cleanup by the Royals. And, and Tommy, we had talked about, you know, the Royals treating their minor leaguers well, how, you know, how that may impact, you know, future signings. And, and this may be an, an indication of, of just that. Yeah, with the way that the Royals drafted number one and then the way that they've signed uh, these free agents. I mean, it is apparent that uh, the new ownership with with John Sherman and yeah. Dayton Moore 
uh, they are committed to the future of this organization. Now, will all of these undrafted free agents or even some of the guys they may have drafted in the draft, will they become, you know, big stars for the Royals? That never happens. You never have everybody, you know, that, you know, you draft or that you sign you know, ends up being a huge success. But I think it shows how committed they are to the future of the franchise, knowing that obviously they've been in rebuilding mode for the last couple of years and the way that they, number one, like you mentioned, treat their minor leaguers and just the eye that they had. I mean, you know, the fact that they drafted, you know, Asa Lacey and he's a guy that could have very easily went number one in the draft. Right. He fell to number four and the Royals scooped him up. Uh, it shows how committed they are to growing this team and growing this franchise not just in the next couple of years, but in the next five to 10 years for sure. That's pretty apparent to me. So uh, I, it doesn't surprise me one bit uh, that the Royals, you know, they, they came in pretty much at number one as far as getting the bounty of all of these, you know, undrafted free agents. I think that's great. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I am so excited to, to you know, I, Everybody's probably just tired of me fanboying Ace Lacey, but I'm so excited. And I I can't remember where I saw it, so I want to tread cautiously, but someone mentioning that it could be possible to actually see Ace Lacey this year for the Royals because they're expecting immediate impact out of him, obviously depending on where they're at, which could be they're doing good and want to bring him up to help, or they're doing poorly and you know they feel like they've got a few innings to, to see what he has at the major league level. I'd love to see him get in and, and throw this year. So we've always had on this show kind of an arbitrary hour long time limit or time frame of doing the show. We're a little bit over today and that's okay. It's not the end of the world. We're not on radio, even though my radio mind is telling us to shut it down in <laughs> 60 minutes or less. Uh, we're a little bit over that, but we're not doing a Wichita whip around today. We were going to talk Wichita open uh, in the golf tournament. An article came out in the Wichita business journal uh, recently about uh, the, the progress of the Wichita open and the great job Roy Turner is doing as far as getting sponsorships coming in. We'll talk more about that in depth on the next episode of keeper of the games. No, finally funny today either, just because we're running out of time and, and, and really, you know, there's not a whole, lot funny going on right now i don't think other than gil mesh maybe gil mesh yes. could just be our finally funny for the day i'm glad I, i'm glad i could provide that he is yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, I can't believe that he came up on the show <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah that's awesome your your random you know former royals player mention i suppose uh but we do want to thank blake cripps for being on the show here today uh blake one more time before we uh, let you go and wrap up uh obviously you kind of talked a little bit about the podcast anything else uh for newman you want to plug you want to plug the jet open one more time absolutely the jet open is coming up here and by all accounts right now it's still planned to be going on so obviously you know there could be something next week and it may not be going on. I don't know. But as of right now, you can get all the information at newmanjets.com slash jetopen, whether or not you want to be a sponsor or if you want to just have a foursome go out and play. It's back at Rolling Hills Country Club. And the kickoff party and auction is now at Fugate Gymnasium this year. It's Monday, August 3rd for the golf, Sunday, August 2nd at 530 for the kickoff party and auction. All the information, whether or not you want to be a sponsor, a booster, or just play, newmanjets.com slash jet open. All right. Sounds good, Blake. We really appreciate you being on the show, and uh, we'd love to have you come back if you're cool with that. Absolutely. Hey, just let me know. All right. Sounds good. It's Blake Cripps. He is the voice of the Newman University Jets here on Keeper of the Games. Want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of Keeper of the Games, you'll get a notification. Of course, you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, including listening to the JetCast. You can find us on all those major platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, PocketCast, and many others out there as well. You can go to our website, cogpod.weebly.com. And get more info about the show. You can watch videos there, that sort of thing. And you can also watch our video, if you so care to do so, uh, on YouTube and Facebook just by searching for Keeper of the Games. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. You can also follow us individually. Weston, what's your Twitter handle? You know, before I uh, plug my Twitter handle, I want to thank all the listeners for uh, listening to my voice sandwiching between these two fantastic radio play-by-play -play <laughs> voices we have. But you can follow me on Twitter at WMills94. 
Yeah, you know, you blend in pretty nicely there, Weston. <laughs> so I know, I know you're an attorney, but uh, I, I keep trying to tell you, you're a media member now. Even though you've tried, you try to fight two things from you. You try to fight how old you are, and you try to fight the fact that you're now in the media. Uh, guilty as charged. Yeah, there you go. Uh, you can follow me anytime at tweets from Tommy uh, as well. So until next time, for Blake Cripps and Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Caster. You've been checking out Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Caster and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at COGPOD. That's K-O-G-P-O-D. 